Well, we're going to continue this week on the theme of the names of Christmas. Really, the name of Christ, the names of Christ, as it was prophesied in Isaiah of how he would come and what his names would be. You know, that prophecy was given over 700 years before the birth of Christ. Let's read that again, if we could, this week. Isaiah 9 and verse 6. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And we looked last week at how Christ is wonderful. You know, he's marvelous and glorious, and he wants to do a, a wonderful work in his church. He wants to do a wonderful work in us in causing his church to become glorious. And he's also a counselor, which I'm grateful for, that he's not just far off in heaven, but he wants to speak to us. He wants to direct our lives. It's, he doesn't just take his hands off and say, okay, do your best. <laughs> but he speaks to us. He wants to guide us and direct us. He's going to cut through the enigmas of life as we come to him, and he'll lead us into his glorious light. But then we come to another name is where he's called the mighty God. He's the mighty God. I'm grateful for that. He's mighty. And there's several things that we can understand from this name or things we can, we can see in it. Uh, one is that Jesus is unquestionably declared to be God. You know, in this prophecy, 700 years before he was born, I, the God is speaking through Isaiah. Well, he's really speaking of himself <laughs> through Isaiah, that he is the mighty God. And it's the same word. This word used for God here is in the Hebrews, the word El, which is the same word used over 200 times in the Old Testament for the God of Israel, the living God. And, and so this is uh, clearly saying that he is our God that was born uh, in the flesh. And this is confirmed just a few chapters later, or earlier, actually, in Isaiah. Wait, what chapter is that? No, it's in the next chapter. In, in Isaiah chapter 10, in verse 21, it says this, it says, The remnant shall return, even the remnant of Jacob, unto the mighty God. And so the remnant of God's people will return to the mighty God. And so Israel, natural Israel, shall return unto the mighty God, or, or as it's in the Hebrew, see if I can say it right, El Gibor. El Gibor is the mighty God. Uh, and so God knew that his people would have to be restored and he would come as the mighty God to do it. He came as the mighty God the first time. You know, sometimes we don't think about that. He came as a child, but really he was coming as the mighty God because only a mighty God could obtain the victory on the cross. And so he, that was how he was a mighty God for us, by getting the victory for us. But then he's going to come again as the mighty God, and he's really, we'll really see that might displayed and power. And so that 
not just natural Israel, but spiritual Israel can experience that might and power in our midst. Now, what's interesting is when you consider the context of Isaiah when he's giving this prophecy in, in chapter 9, um, you know, Israel, especially like in the northern kingdom, um, around this is around 725 B.C., and Israel is morally bankrupt. Now, someone used that term. I, I, I didn't create that term. I thought it was really true. They were just morally bankrupt. They had the ways of God, but they chose not to do it, and they served the idols of the heathen nations around them and went off that way. And, of course, they were about to be overrun. Just a few years after this, they were overrun by the Assyrians and scattered among the nations. But yet, even as that's taking place, God's proclaiming, but I'm going to come as the mighty God in chapter 9, and then in chapter 10, and I'm going to gather the remnant unto myself as the mighty God. He was going to deliver them from bondage. I think this is significant for us today because aren't we in a similar time of moral bankruptcy in the earth? And that's clear in the earth, but unfortunately it's even come to define some in the church of not following the standards of God, but doing whatever's right in their own eyes. That's grieving you know, to, to those of us in the church or those of us who seek to follow the ways of God, but yet God is declaring himself, he is mighty. He's mighty to save. He's mighty to restore and bring back, even in, in the midst of great darkness that this was taking place. You know, there's many bound in sin, but he is able to deliver because he's the mighty God. We can see a, a similar description in another chapter of Isaiah, and this is in 63. So Isaiah 63 and verse 1, you know, speaking of the Lord again, it says, Who is this that comes up from Edom with dyed garments from Basra? And this is speaking of the Lord coming up from defeating his enemies. This is, uh, th- this is the glorious, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength, I that speak righteousness, mighty to save. And, you know, so here's a picture of what God is going to do in the earth, but also in his people. He comes from the battlefield and he's glorious in his apparel. Uh, It's a bit gruesome to think about it in the natural because, you know, the implication is he's, he's defeated his enemies and his garments are spotted with uh, the blood of his enemies. And that's a reference to Revelation 19 and, and verse 13. Jesus is going to be clothed with vesture dipped in blood, um, and his name is called the Word of God. But it's really just symbolic. It's symbolic of the victory that he obtained for us through his blood. But then, he, through that victory, he defeats our enemies. And he obtains total victory. And so, you know, he is coming again to conquer all of our enemies, his enemies, which are our enemies, both natural, but especially the spiritual ones, those ones that keep his, enemy, his people captive, that keep them bound. He's coming to destroy that enemy and deliver. And back in, in Isaiah 63, 1, it says he's traveling in the greatness 
of his strength. He's speaking in righteousness. You know, he will uphold his ways and we have to follow him in what he declares are the right way to go in our lives. But as we do that, it says that glorious phrase, he's mighty to save. Thank God. He's mighty to save. And that's what we always want to come, how, how we want to approach God. And sometimes we think, Lord, this situation's pretty big. But you know, in our spirits, we, at the same time, we can acknowledge that. It's not, we're not saying the situation isn't significant, but yet we acknowledge that, but then we have to acknowledge who he is, that he's much bigger than the situation. He's mighty to save. And we want to make sure we declare that, Lord, this situation's so overwhelming, but you're bigger, you're greater. I just want to make sure I say that to you and don't just leave it at this situation's too much or too great. No. We always want to end, Lord, you're bigger. You're mighty to save. That's how the child Jesus is proclaimed. The mighty God. He was born to bring a mighty deliverance to his people. One commentator said this. I thought this was really good how he said it. He said, there is a great rejoicing among God's people because God has broken the yoke of burden and oppression. And the burden and oppression are removed because the weapons and garments of the warrior are destroyed. The basic reason for these blessings is, is that a child is born. Because Jesus was born, he has broken the yoke of burden and oppression. And really, it's because he was born and he lived and died and rose again for us is why all of that yoke and of, of, of burden and oppression is broken. Thank God for that. And I believe this is what God wants to focus on in our day. He came as a child for a specific reason. Through his birth, his death, and his resurrection, he came to break the yoke of oppression that's on us because he's the mighty God and he could do that if we'll look to him. If we'll call upon him and declare him to be that, he will be that towards us. The Hebrew also carries the idea of strength and that's kind of obvious. He's, might, he's the mighty God and so he's really strong. He's one of it, it carries the thought, he is one of great strength. Isaiah 26 and verse 4, Isaiah has a lot to talk about when it comes to the mighty God, our God who is strong. It says, trust in the Lord forever. For in the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. That's even better. It's everlasting. It's eternal. It's not just okay, we get an injection of strength. You know, sometimes you think of like, uh, well, I don't know if this will apply, but if you haven't played video games, I don't want to advise you do. Sometimes you play video games and you, you lose strength and you find this little, you know, health packet and you touch that, whoop, I'm strong again, and you can go on in the game. That's not the, how, the strength that God wants to put in us. He's, it gives us everlasting strength. It's like we get that strength and okay, we're, it's a new level of strength he wants to put us put into us and it doesn't leave us, but it's there. We're walking in that. 
for eternity. He is everlasting strength. And so Jesus was that child who came as a man. He, you know, he experienced the, uh, the frailty of what it meant to be a human, to be a man. Uh, but in that frailty, he conquered. He overcame. And he became the one who is everlasting strength. Not only that, but he makes it available to everyone who would call upon his name. It was, reminds me of the story from Luke chapter 8 of the woman who had the issue of blood. Right? And, you, and as soon as you say that, you remember her story and because it's in all the synoptic gospels. It's Matthew, Mark, and Luke of this story of the, of the woman. And when you read all of the accounts, you can put that story together. She had suffered for 12 years with this affliction. And it wasn't just like, you know, oh, I've got... I've had a headache for 12 years. It's, it's, she, had, she was afflicted in a way that separated her from society for 12 years because she was unclean. She couldn't come into the temple. She, she could never get right. And she tried to make it right through you know, natural doctors. And she must have done everything that she could because she spent all her resources on it and found no answer. But when she heard about Jesus there was a spark in her. I mean, something supernatural took place in her heart when she heard because there was some faith that, was, that rose up or was deposited from God because she said, he can heal me. And she, but she, it wasn't, didn't stop there, did it, right? She didn't just say, okay, he can heal me. I receive it by faith. No, it says she went out through the crowd, which is a little questionable, according to the law, because she, that was not right for her. She was unclean. She wasn't supposed to mingle with clean people and so forth, according to the law. But she went out anyway, because she needed a touch from her master. And she pressed through the crowd. She acted on that belief, that faith. Uh, she just got near to Jesus, reached out, and just, just touched a little bit of of his garment, she knew he was that powerful, believed he was that powerful. And when she did that, she was instantly healed and set free. And what's remarkable is then what Jesus said, right? And because he stopped, he basically stopped everything. Oh, hold up. <laughs> they were going somewhere else, right? He had a, a purpose somewhere else for healing, but he said, stop. And he turned around and he looked. And there was enough people there. I mean, he's God. He knows everything. But when there's a sea of people, it's like, where is this person who just touched me? Because he said this in, in Luke 8, 46. He said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of me. Power flowed out of me to someone else. Where is that person? And, you know, in her weakness, this woman pressed through the crowd. She reached out. She touched Jesus, and it's, it's, it's as if the power could not but just flow to her because she had touched something supernatural in him. And this story really speaks to us as believers, as a church today, because I, it's almost like we're kind of in that season of weakness, like this woman with the issue of blood where we're like, Lord, we need your power. 
would you come? And we're just like, we're waiting. Lord, when are you going to appear? But then we wait. What else can we do? <laughs> you know, we can try and go in here and there. Well, we're just going to spend all our resources up. And so we're waiting on God and we're saying, Lord, we need a touch from you. But then when we sense it is the season and it is the time we press in, we cry out, Lord, I need a touch from you. We knock and keep on knocking and we're that we're that you know, like all of the, the different parables, we're the persistent widow, we're, we're lifting our voice and we're crying out because that's how power can flow to us. And so, you know, we realize, you know, we're in that season of weakness and limitation, even, you know, as it's upon the whole world in a sense. I mean, we're all being limited in some way. You know, it's, I never would have imagined that, uh, you know, we wouldn't be able to travel and teach and minister anywhere or or because of that. There's just a limitation. It, and it's like a season of weakness and limitation for everyone. But yet that's the pathway Christ walked. He was limited. He walked in the way that his father ordained and it was not an easy one. You know, he learned obedience to the things he suffered and experienced seasons of strong crying with tears you know, to, to hit the mark. To, but he triumphed over the flesh and in his weakness he conquered all. And thank God for that. Thank, thank God it's not on us to conquer. <laughs> right? He, he's not saying, okay, now you become conquerors. He's saying, no, look to me, I already conquered. Just focus upon me. Follow me in that way and you will automatically be walking in the way of the conqueror. The one who is mighty to save. And so all we need to do in our weakness is reach out and touch him and call upon the name of the Lord. And in our weakness, we'll receive strength. We'll become like the saints of old, as it says in in Hebrews 11.34, it says they, they did lots of things. They quenched the violence of fire. They escaped the edge of the sword. But out of weakness, they were made strong. And so God wants to be our mighty God, our restorer, our deliverer, our redeemer. In our weakness, we reach out to him and we are made strong. That name took a little longer than I thought. I did have one more. It shouldn't take too long. We'll, we'll do one more name. Because I wanted to also look at Everlasting Father. He's our Everlasting Father. In fact, the, there's another way that, that the previous name, Mighty God, is translated. I thought it was interesting. Uh, in, in the Aramaic, uh, it says, He's the Mighty God of Ages. He's the Mighty God of Ages. He's the God of all ages both now and the ages to come. And so Isaiah gives another of these Christmas names, the Everlasting Father. Now, I, we don't have to take this in a sense that he is replacing the Father or any, anything like that. John, he said in John 14, 28, I'm going to my Father, and my Father is greater than I. So the Father will always be there. And then the Son, here's a clear distinction So he's not uh, greater than the Father, but he is like him. As 
you know, when Philip asked that question in John 14, 8, you know, Philip said, said to him, Lord, show, show us the Father and then that's enough for us. And Jesus said, haven't I been with you so long that you still don't know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And so he, he can be the everlasting Father or be called that because he is like the Father you know, Jesus grew in his maturity and favor with God and man until he became like the Father. And that's our goal. That's our purpose in life. Why One part why God put us on earth, you know, you could say our calling is to be disciples. And what, what do disciples do? Well, Jesus said this in Matthew 10, 24, a disciple is not above his teacher or greater than his teacher or nor a servant above his master. But then verse 25, here's the key. But it is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. So Jesus shows us the pattern, the way for his people to walk. It's a way of transformation, of putting off the old and putting on the new. That way, that nature of Christ, of being like him and walking in his way. And, you know, and there is that sense of the new that Jesus came to do something new. He came to do a new thing in the earth. He came to do a new thing in his kingdom. It, he said this in John 14, 12. Truly, truly, I say unto you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. Greater works than these will he do because I go to my Father. He is the everlasting Father. He shows the Father and he went to him. And because of that, we can enter into that greater part. And then he's coming again to do a new thing in the, in the church and in the earth to make her glorious and we'll be joined with her for eternity. And he did that work in this age, in the age of the church, and it's going to last for the ages to come. In fact, the literal meaning in the Hebrew of everlasting father is the father of eternity. He's the father, he's the author, the creator and the governor of all eternity. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the one whose throne will last forever. And, and he, being like the good father, would lead us into a good eternity in a good way. I like another one last quote here of one commentary. It says, He is the father of the new and the eternal age, that is, of the kingdom which is to endure forever for Christ is the father of a new generation to continue throughout all eternity. The second Adam, the father of a new race, the head of a new and everlasting family. I love that thought. We, we're a part of a new and everlasting family in which all the children of God are reckoned. And so he is the father of a new generation. And we are in that family for all eternity. And so we, we see Jesus as the pattern of one, the one who became a child so that he could become like and reveal the Father to us. But we also realize our calling, that is our calling because it is enough that we become like our, our, our teacher, that we become like our master. And so that is our pathway is to walk and become like the master so that we can also display the Father. Isn't that something to say, what's God like? Well, hopefully you've seen him in me. 
<laughs> a little bit. And so as we go to the Father, that's where the power lies. Jesus said, I go to my Father, and then that's when the power comes to earth. And so he is the everlasting Father who will lead us into the ages to come. That's a wonderful thought. We don't even can't even comprehend. That's a part of the promise. Eye hasn't seen or ear heard. It hasn't even entered into our heart the things that he has for us, not just on earth, but in the ages to come. That can really stretch your brain to think about, whoa, what, what are we going to be doing in the ages to come when we consider all this is just the, the qualifying. This is the boot camp, you know, where, where God prepares us for, to, to do his will in the ages to come. But to do that, we want to allow him to, to do whatever it takes in us to prepare, to be made like him as a good disciple, to follow his pattern, to know the Father. And so this Christmas season, our invitation is to come unto the one who is our mighty God, that in our weakness, we can reach out and we can touch him and we can receive new strength new life, and in doing so, it breaks the yoke of oppression and allow his power to flow into us so we're transformed and he will lead us into a glorious eternity where we walk in his pathway. We become like him so that we know him and we can know the Father and display the glory of the Father in our lives. And Lord, we just thank you. Thank you for coming to earth. Lord, thank you for displaying these wonderful names and these wonderful qualities to us. And Lord, we just look to you, oh God, as, as the mighty God and as the everlasting Father. May we know you in these ways in our lives. Oh God, let your power flow through us. Help us, Lord, to be like that woman that we be diligent to reach out and respond to you when you call. That when we see you, we would follow you and press through the crowd and receive that touch from you and Oh God, that you would just work within us afresh. Work within us, Lord, that we could follow you and become like you, Lord, as a disciple, like a teacher, and that we could know the Father and the Father would be seen through us. Lead us into the ages to come. In your glory we ask and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.